This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Envision yourself in a halo of glowing white light. It will protect you. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! It is the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 23, part of the Conjuring universe of films, originally based on the real-life case files of Connecticut paranormal researchers Ed and Lorraine Warren, comes a new movie based on an original character created by James Wan, The Nun. We were first introduced to The Nun in The Conjuring 2 and briefly in Annabelle Creation as well as in a post credit scene. We are about to delve into her own terrifying story with the film's director, Corn Hardy. Find out about the spooky things happening behind the scenes. Scout the amazing locations in the casting process. Then in an exclusive, Korn performs a song he wrote and performed on set as a parting gift for the crew, here for the only other time ever, with the Boo Crew's very own Tim Timebomb. Let's do it. This is Corin Hardy, and you're hanging out with the Boo Crew. I had a series of visions when I was younger. And after each one ended, the same thought would be stuck in my head. What did you see? I saw none. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a multi-award winning writer, director, sculptor, illustrator, and filmmaker. His first full-length horror feature was a highly acclaimed 2015 Sundance film showpiece, The Hollow, called by far the best at the event. A sinister fairy tale combining stunning practical effects that never lets up. But well before that, Corrin had established himself in the music world, creating award-winning short films alongside some of the world's biggest artists. The Prodigy, Ed Sheeran, Keen's smash hit Somewhere Only We Know, all woven with the fibers of his whimsical darkness. Now he brings that magic to the world of horror yet again, directing a new story from James Wan and Gary Doberman, who was also behind the script for It, from The Conjuring Universe, one of the most anticipated horror films in years, opening September 7th, called The Nun. We are honored to welcome Mr. Corn Hardy. What an introduction. Thank you very much. What are your earliest memories of being exposed to the horror genre? Mm, they were good ones. I sort of exposed myself to the horror genre originally with when I saw King Kong and my grandmother's, the, the 1933 King Kong. I think I was about five or six. I didn't know what was going on. I'd been sent to bed. I was asleep on my grandmother's bed. It was made of yak hair. <laughs> so the bed was like an animal. And basically when I was watching this small black and white television, I felt like I was riding on King Kong. I'd never seen anything like it. I obviously thought this monster was real. And I found myself terrified, but then also at the end, weeping. And I realized as I've grown up how brilliant this was. It's a monster movie that moved me and terrified me and thrilled me. And so as I got older, you know, I mean, I was terrified of horror until sort of around 12. I remember seeing Alien. It was so scary. I think maybe when I was seven or eight, nine. You know, I, I kind of got myself sent to bed. It was, it was so freaky. Salem's Lot, the Twilight Zone movie, The American Werewolf in London. 
But when I saw Evil Dead 2, that's when I think my brain exploded. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> that was around age 12. I was sort of like, this is so... Every sort of two minutes, something incredible happened. And it made me, all me and my friends, we had a group of friends. We were all like heavy metal kids. And we would get together at the weekend and, and on summer holidays. And we'd pool our money to save up for a Super 8 film and make two and a half minute long Super 8 videos, films, which we obviously were just trying to do as much gore and monster movie effects and zombies as possible. We were just obsessed with creating horror because it was an outlet. You just create stuff we loved, this thing. So what were some of those films that created the Bible of your creative language? Everything around that time, and it was for me, it was in the 80s. As I got older, it was 70s. Particularly, Evil Dead 2 and Nightmare on Elm Street and all the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Streets and, and Halloweens. And, but The Thing particularly, that was another one. Benchmark for effects and still is. And Aliens, Alien, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, Don't Look Now. William Freakin, you know. By the way, the man's wearing a Pazuzu shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it in Sitches, the film festival Sitches is one of the best. It was seeing Evil Dead 2 that caused me to want to kind of experiment and make films of my own. But being a huge fan of 80s movies and Steel Spielberg movies and, you know, Ridley Scott's Alien. And even the stop action of King Kong, you yeah. used a lot of that, like in Butterfly, like yeah. similar. I mean, it's pretty close, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Ray Harryhausen's monster movies. Mm-hmm. Like when I saw, I think I saw like a double bill of Clash of the Titans and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On my yeah. cousin's ninth birthday. And uh, <laughs> stop motion is still is something I find fascinating. I find it like the truest form of art in a way because yeah. it's one frame at a time, one image. And I mean, stop motion where you create the puppets and the sets and light it. And so... I did a, a stop motion movie called Butterfly. It took me five years. I sort of locked myself away and made all the puppets and shot lit everything. Yeah, I recommend people. It's an incredible film. I recommend all the listeners check it out. Thank How you. can they see it? It's a good question because it is on an iTunes, a little thing in Brit Shorts on iTunes, but some fan uploaded it to YouTube and I never took it down. So oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's just, someone out there is um, making like about one penny a month on butterfly but yeah if you google butterfly stop motion animation something like that i watched it today oh yeah my jaw was on the floor how good i'm gonna see it thanks i mean i I watched it and then i watched it again (laughs) and i'm gonna watch it again Oh man! Yeah. Well, that was. It's I not mean, a horror movie. So much. There's so much detail. It's so much. Yeah. 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 Well, it's yeah. horror in a different way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, it's not a straight horror movie, but it was. You can see probably a lot of my influences when you see that film. Yeah, right? certainly. The sort of spiraling camera shots and, yeah. and yeah. stuff. That was a sort of a period of life trying to put something filmic together. Did you finance that yourself? I financed it and I got a very small arts grant and I think the total budget was £12,000 over five years. Wow. (laughs) I'm excited to talk about this. Where was those sets? I've got some of them still. I mean, I... I, In your living room? Yeah, I designed the sets and I actually, because I went to school in London at an art college called Wimbledon School of Art, which did a theatre design degree, which I did. And as I left that, I was going to go into monster making and, and special effects and try and go to Shepperton or Pinewood or somewhere. And my tutor actually grabbed me on the last day and said, like, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, 
I think I'm going to go and you know do special effects finally. I'd been experimenting with it all my life. And then she said, you don't want to do that though. Because she had, her career had been this. And she said, you want to make your films. That's what you want. You've been showing me, you've been making short films and you've been, you want to do your films, don't you? And I was sort of like, you know, when you get someone who takes you aside and tells you what you kind of want to hear, but you're too scared to right, hear. Yeah, it was yeah. like that. It was like a little bit of a calling. Her name was Valerie Charlton and she was, she puppeteered Jabba the Hutt in, oh, in, wow. in, 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 oh, in Jedi. Yeah. And, and she did Temple of Doom. She sculpted the, the Kali and everything. Oh, wow. So she sort of took me aside and it caused me to sort of realign myself. And I had a script I'd written called Butterfly, which was meant to be a live action film, but I just didn't have any money and I didn't want to do it in a sort of low budget way. So I figured if I did stop motion, inspired by what Ray Harryhausen had done, inspired by what Henry Selleck and Tim Burton did with Nightmare Before Christmas. And do you ever watch any like Rankin Bass stuff? I should probably watch more. I haven't. <laughs> those are pretty cool too. I have to get a link. <laughs> yeah, those are fun. Because yeah. the thing that struck me about Butterfly is how visual it is. It's not just, you went the extra mile. Yeah. You know, you really went, the thing that I really, my jaw dropped was the transition from the carnival to the stained glass. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> like the commitment to pull that off. Right. And to, first to visualize, because that would be cool live action, but to actualize it and stop yeah, motion. Beautiful. I want to watch that. I'm going to keep watching. You watch that over and over again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember so good. that particular shot. I know we got a lot of other things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> The power of the edit. But that particular shot I do remember because it was it was a transition between this fairground shot into a church stained glass window. And it was during the one shot, which is this fairground shot, because it's all in camera. It's shot on 16 mil. There was no computers looking through a tiny little lens oh, wow. using little pointers. And it probably took me a week to just do this, this shot. I had friends helping build sets and I actually went back to my art college and I got the year in their sort of second of three years to take on. I, d I gave them like a project and sort of taught at college for sort of six weeks and they all built like a set each. So I got 12 sets from them. The fairground was, you know, I had a camera tracking left to right. How on big this. was it? Well, the set was probably the size of this table. Right. My uncle built me a dolly track, which was one meter long on a pair of shower curtain rails. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had a car jack from a skip that I found that well, I welded a tripod head on. So it was this really cranky thing. You could like do a dolly left and right. You could do a car jack up and down. You could do a camera tilt. And I bought like a junior geared head, which is the one thing I spent from my budget, you know. And so you could do it. And it had all increments. And then, of course, you had the camera on it. So you're taking a frame. You're going along up till you've got 100 little figures that you're moving. <laughs> all the lights in the fairground wow. are moving. So you literally go insane when you're doing I mean, you know, I'm a big but, fan of stop motion. And obviously. But, but let me, you probably spent how many hours on this thing? It had to hone your craft. You, had a, a, you, you know what I mean? Like skill set. <laughs> yeah. Well, it must yeah. have been like a it'd film like, school, right? It'd be like a band practice. Like yeah. my version of in the garage. Yeah. yeah playing yeah. with the guys. Yeah. Thousands of hours. I didn't right. study yeah. animation. So it was like, it wasn't me teaching myself to, to animate. And it was sort of a little bit of a... And light and everything. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. only imagine it's got to... You get on your but that was why I love stop motion is the closest you can get to being like God of your own little right. world. <laughs> right, Because yeah. you really do. Like every frame is how you want to make it look. All the things that go wrong add the flavor and the personality to it. And that's why, you know, like computer any, animation... Like any great art though, you know? Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. I love the mistakes. <laughs> yeah, keep I love it. Keep exactly. them. Punk right. rock. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, as, as a photographer, I really appreciate your use of, you know, we have a word for that called uh, bokeh, oh, out, nice. of out of focus, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I imagine some of the shots were either fast lenses, I imagine, or... I literally had three lenses on my Bolex telephoto, you know, like a, what was it, a 16 and a 25 and a 75. And I did the whole film just between those three. Cause wow. you have a, on a Bolex, you just have this lovely, 
Right. Yeah, yeah. How do you handle? But yeah. you have these beautiful transitions that go in and out of focus. Yeah, you know, to right. to show you what you yeah. what you want the viewer to see. You know, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I know. I'll never ever in my life do that again because it's just too. It's too <laughs> hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd Maybe, love to, but it's just like. But you have used you've used a lot of that stop motion techniques in some of the music yeah. videos you've yeah. done. Yeah, because that was the thing that launched me, of course. And then I got into music video, and so all the bands straight away were like, "Oh, we love Butterfly. We really want something." Like that. Okay. I'm like, cool. right, okay. This took a little bit more time <laughs> right. than four weeks, you know. Yeah, like the right. analogy videos, though, man. I love yeah. that one. Yeah, that's really cool. Oh, that's good. Maybe did six stop motion videos, but I always cut corners and figured out ways of cheating and making it look like stop motion. The Prodigy one was actually um, live action puppeteered, and then I made it look like stop motion. Oh, wow. Did, did a little, oh, that's clever. A little chunk of stop motion, but we hand puppeteered puppets that I built, and we set them on fire and puppeteered them. Like little cigarette oh, nice. packet guys. Yeah. 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 So I wondered why the why the match, the exactly. flame was yeah, yeah. clean while everything else. It's a mixture. Uh, yeah. That's really clever. Beyond the stop motion things you brought to videos, you also have a knack of turning music videos into a real cinematic experience and putting a narrative and telling the story through characters. And that's kind of been a benchmark <laughs> of what you've been doing too, right? Thank you. I mean, yes, absolutely. It was, I love music videos, but I'm not a guy to just film people looking good. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I basically, used all the music I did 10 years of music videos and I just wanted to experiment storytelling and you know <laughs> effects techniques and yeah that's, that's how it's yeah. <laughs> yeah because that, you yeah you could tell you're a filmmaker making a music video I love right, it right. if it was a big band I got their like fourth video where they've got like the smallest budget but you get the most control right. or I get the tiny band's biggest you know, like first release where you get the same sort of thing but, <laughs> so yeah they're, they're all all the music videos I made I always tried to work with bands I loved and music I loved and try and get an idea and to to try and get a band you love the song and an idea all to happen is, is sort of like stars aligning but and then you worked with all those children for the war child oh, charity right. video for that. keen and you were yeah, teaching yeah. the kids yeah, yeah. how to make stop motion right that's amazing that. oh man you've seen you've done your homework yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i worked with keen from the start they were a band a british band which they, i had my film butterfly premiered in the edinburgh film festival in, okay. in, in scotland and um it was literally like the first time the world I sort of exposed my film to the world at a special time and there was a, the band manager and a commissioner of, of a record label uh, who did like Radiohead and stuff and, and they did Keen and I did about three or four videos for them I did Bed Shaped because they, they loved Butterfly and I was trying to figure out a way and I always thought I'd cut the film into a music video somehow and, and that song Bed Shape was really um, actually a really special song I think and uh, I did Summer Only Wino and then I did a couple of others and War Child was something that came up and yeah it was working with a charity actually I think they showed it in Brixton Academy they did like a screening and a gig and stuff like that actually while I was making Butterfly I was trying to do things to earn money making some music videos doing sculptures commissioned artwork and I did a bunch of teaching like animation workshops and music video workshops for kids and stuff so it was kind of all just to try and kind of keep living to make the animation. And then your journey to making The Hollow, your oh, yeah. feature-length horror debut, yeah. which just, I mean, it killed. Like, Slash was at the Sundance yeah, yeah. Festival, said it was the best thing he'd seen. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. <laughs> so what is it about, you use a lot of practical effects yeah. in that movie. What is it about practical effects 
that you think resonates not only with you, but with audiences? I just think we're human beings. And if we see stuff that's ultimately real, it yeah. registers in your heart and makes your heart beat, makes you frightened or, or laugh or excited more. You know, look at what Tom Cruise does with Mission Impossible. You just go and see it because yeah. he's actually doing it. And yeah. Whereas you see the ones where there's CG explosions and you just kind of watch and go, oh, well, you know. Yeah, I like the new Mission Impossible. Yeah. Nice. Like that one. fight scene in the yeah. 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 That's that's amazing. Him and him running, just running. Yeah. Yeah. Just running? Just yes. running along that running. Running. No, I was just him run. I was enjoying like, watching him run. I know, exactly. I, I watched it for like an hour probably. Right? 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 There's like, there's oh, a that's practical. Oh, the that's, practical. Right? Yeah. that's really Tom Cruise running. <laughs> it's his contract. He has to run in every movie. Well, there's actually, well, that's a funny thing. He doesn't run in every movie and there's a statistic that the movies he doesn't run in do poorly yes. at the box office. Really? Yeah. So, Did he run in Top Gun? I don't he know. He run on a plane now. <laughs> right. Well, running and... Uh, half-naked volleyball. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Those do well. <laughs> but no, I think practical effects... Well, you mentioned John Carpenter's a thing. Yeah. That's, that, mean, that movie yeah. holds up. We've oh, talked man. about yeah. Yeah. That's just all practical. Rob, Rob Bottin, that doesn't. Yeah. That movie yeah. age is great. Rob Bottin was, is a, you know, amongst my heroes, you know, Stan Winston and Kevin Yeager and the ADI guys and Rick Baker. And I grew up reading Fangoria and dreaming of making those monsters, uh, you know, wow. and, and wondering if I'd ever get a chance to. So when I did The Hallow I was trying to find my UK equivalent of a Rob Bottin like a genius practical effects and there's less of them around because it's harder to make that life work really I think but my guy John Nolan who did The Hallow did an incredibly job and he took on a lot He's now heading up the Jim Henson Creature Workshop on the Dark Crystal. So he, he's, oh, oh, I wow. just went to visit wow. him and he had like a hundred people working with him creating the whole Dark Crystal wow. world. Wow. As an illustrator and a lover of practical effects, how involved in that process do you get with the creature creation and all that kind of stuff? I draw all the time. So I have my sketchbooks and whatever I'm doing, the nun, you know, I'll show you some of that in a minute. It's the first thing I do is just sort of excited when I've read a script is like immediately just try and pour my brain out onto the page and see what comes and I know I don't have to show anyone any of it if I don't like it I try and conjure stuff up that I, excites me and when I hit something I'm like okay this is a good one and then I'll pass it on and hopefully that spreads from the sort of initial sketch in a book through the production designs through the creature designs storyboards and ends up on some part of it ends up on the screen you know? well let's talk about The Nun and how you came to be yeah. involved in the project I'd done The Hallow as you said in 2015 that was a project that took sort of eight years to get off the ground because it was an independent movie I was sort of writing it and developing it whilst I was doing music videos did you release that in the UK first or was it a US out, release came out I think all around the same time I think it was it was Friday the 13th <laughs> the nun was going to be Friday the 13th as well I nearly had both of them yeah I think it came out in the US at the same okay. time when I got the nun script I had a number of my own projects and I was looking at other movies and then the nun came in and I was obviously a fan of James Wan's fan of horror movies loved what he had created in his universe now and I thought when I saw the Conjuring the first one I sort of like oh wow someone's doing this kind of like respectful horror like 70s aesthetic beautiful cinematography great casting real atmosphere and kind of going back in time a little bit and I was a fan and then and I'd seen The Conjuring 2 at the cinema and I'd noticed The Nun and you know I felt she kind of stole the show of that film in a way just this instantly iconic yeah there was scary, yeah. the scariest part yeah. of the film is when the yeah. nun mm. shadow goes over that painting yeah, I agree. The nun yeah. is like the star, huh? Right. I'm really curious. What are your thoughts on the Enfield poltergeist? For real, you mean? Yeah. I love what it's, it's, uh, that's what I love is, you know, he, they connect to these real 
studies and then you know you get to see that kid jumping off the bed and yeah, yeah. it's impressive yeah. because uh you can find a lot of this actual video and audio on mm-hmm. online right it's right. one of those cases that's been so well documented right. and that's why it was probably much easier to make the movie yeah to tell the more accurate story as possible you know but yeah. i was kind of curious if you thought it was real or not or not sure you know or i have mixed feelings about it until but i did have something that i encountered whilst making a nun that i'll tell you about oh, which yeah. which really kind of like <laughs> changed me a little bit <laughs> I, I can, maybe i can get to that we'd but, have to dim the lights <laughs> <laughs> but uh the conjuring the acting is great too the chemistry yeah. between oh, the fantastic. actors oh yeah, they're so yeah. great i love that about those films yeah you know? they brought me back to the things I love and so when I got the nun script comes in I was curious to see where it was going to go because I was wondering is it going to take place in the present day or you know and what was really exciting about it was that it you know immediately on page one it said like 1952 Romania I was like, oh, interesting. Is it going to be the second page? Is it going to be 2018? Right. Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so I kept reading. And basically it was, you know, what Gary and James had crafted was as a fan of horror movies and gothic horror and classic horror movies and Hammer and Dario Argento. And I read this script, which really was an opportunity to take me back to like the roots of a gothic horror movie, like with an adventure story and a journey that takes you in. It's a sort of almost like a different, we have tried to make something which is like a sort of a new direction of the Conjuring movies in a way. And it's fresh in the sense that it goes back and it feels kind of classic. Instead of it being a family possession they call in the paranormal investigators and they come and set up their apparatus and try and figure it out. It was, we're riding on the shoulders of the investigators who are going to hide by the Vatican, traveling to this ancient castle in Romania to uncover the secrets of what's going on there. So it was sort of like, it had a little Temple of Doom about it, you know, and and I was sort of like, oh, this is really something I can get my teeth stuck into because I'm always looking for something that has a world sense to it, you know. We'll go back to The Hollow, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's a movie you picked five different forests yeah. to shoot <laughs> the exterior scenes, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the set and the, the design of the look of everything seems to be so important to you. Yeah. What do you think that adds in being able to go to Transylvania and Romania and fill out the... How important is that to tell the story? To me, it's really important, but you don't always get to do that. Right, so it recreated it, a soundstage it, for the it, most part, the, right? Yeah, The Hollow was based on Irish folklore, and I set it in Ireland, and for a time it was like, am I going to end up shooting in Canada, or am I going to end up shooting in York or Scotland? And it was great to actually go to real Ireland, to the west, and find these really like ancient areas and forests and specific looking trees. And So then the same with The Nun, it was like, it's set in Romania, and it was fantastic to actually go to Romania, to Transylvania, find myself scouting castles in Transylvania. <laughs> 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 How much uh, like location scouting were you involved in? When I got it, we moved pretty quick, i got to say. So I, I was involved in all of it, but it was literally like got the job, said hi to the gang, James Wan's Atomic Monster guys, New Line, Peter Safran. And then literally shipped off to Romania. I mean, I was there for 99 nights, I found out. Wow. <laughs> so, but it was, you know, I think I came to LA for like a week before that. But there's a base that we had in Bucharest, Castile Studios. We traveled north up into Transylvania. It was about a seven hour ride. And it really was like, it was like Dracula. You travel out of the city. Have you played there in Romania? 
You must have played that. Uh, no. That'd be a great it. show. Yeah, yeah. Rancid in Transylvania. Yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> you travel up and you go through these like rural villages and they, and you literally see men riding on a, a cart full of logs delivering milk in pails wow. around the village. And these sort of Romanian <laughs> villages, you just feel straight away timeless. We didn't have to do a ton of art direction in some of the stuff you'll see. You know, when we found this castle was incredible gothic castle but then it did have a town surrounding it so that's when we had to do a sort of sneaky combination of visual effects and then art direction we built into the castle and we built new entrances jennifer spence the production designer did an incredible job so good that damien Bashir, the lead actor he had been acting in this walking into the entrance of the castle for like a whole day and he's like man this castle's amazing look at all this beautiful you know <laughs> and I said oh yeah it's great isn't it she did such a good job Jen didn't she in this entrance set and he's like what do you mean and I, I'm like that whole bit there that's she's art director that's been we've just that's made of wood you know he's like no way <laughs> <laughs> and he goes that's why there's no door inside it because he's been walking up to the floor <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> we were cinematographers great too oh, he thanks. did uh, he sent some great films yeah Mike, Mike Seam Alexandra is one of my favorites. Is High Tension. Oh man, mm, how great is that? Minute, the minute yeah. I, yeah. High Tension stood straight out for me. Yeah. <laughs> Or a switchblade romance, oh, it's yeah. called in yeah, yeah, England. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, Maxime has done all Alessandro Arger's movies. He's got this perfect balance of like a beautiful Italian director of photography and this real sort of heavy, dark genre sort of sensibility. I think he's the Dean Cundy of now. And so to get him, he'd also done Annabelle 2. Right. You know, I presented him with my kind of lookbook which had all my inspirations from sort of like Coppola's Dracula and nice. obviously Exorcist and Exorcist and, and he's got to be stoked to have a director that knows what he wants and has I a hope vision. So. <laughs> right. I hope so. I, mean, I was really lucky to get Maxim. He, he was wonderful. And it was an opportunity to sort of put our kind of ode to classic horror and quite rich colours and, and we used to, like I said, a sort of Mario Bava or Dario Argento vibe in some of the okay. stuff with the colours. You know, we get that quite saturation and stained glass windows uh-huh. and are you involved with the shot process or, or do you trust him? Like, how well, I work? try and, I mean, in the time I have, I've, I've sort of storyboarded everything as much, right. anything that's visual and plan everything as meticulous as we can in the time we have. From getting the job, I think we were shooting something like 10 weeks later. So there's <laughs> so, not a lot of wing in it. The shots are pretty orchestrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, we, we tried to do something quite, like I said, classic with you know not a lot of sort of handheld cameras all on sort of dollies and tracks and cranes and to do that obviously it's a balance with the the schedule and the time but we tried to do something pretty composed and obviously also with honoring James Wan's styles in the Conjuring movie so that the movie also feels like it is part of the Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline tundering world he actually hired you yeah so, so James you, how'd that go did he go to meet him did he interview you I think I pretty much read the script I saw I really like this I could, I'd love to do this my agent said you should just tell him so I, I said and I think we Skyped that evening with all the new line and I think James was in doing Aquaman actually in uh, 
Australia at the same time. And then, yeah, I think the next day it was like, okay, let's had, do it. And had you met him before? No, I never met him. But he was, he's been like very um, supportive and collaborative. You know, I mean, it was people have asked sort of like, did I have to like fit in with the rules of anything? And it was more like instinctive, I think, you know, like when you meet someone who likes the same music as you, yeah. you're instantly on a level. You don't really have to talk about stuff too much. That's so right. That's right. Yeah. James is a, a fan of all this stuff. He gets excited about it. So he'd, I, he'd seen the hollow, obviously. He'd seen the hollow, yeah. They had uh, obviously done their homework and I was very pleased to get the call. Who designed that incredible oh, nun yeah. <laughs> graphic? This is the white poster with the, the tear across. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, Warner Brothers have done an incredible job. You never, I never, you never know. I mean, this is my first studio movie, so you just don't know when it's out of your hands. And I'm always like trying to retain control of everything, you know, like design posters and stuff. But this was something where, you know. Yeah, that's a heavy, a, it's a heavy, it's <laughs> called like an ad mat, they call that right? And that's an ad mat right there. Oh, Yeah. And then the YouTube ad that got yeah. famously, <laughs> infamously <Yeah>. banned. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> this is the Warner Brothers marketing team. And they what's been really fab, because I just got back from Mexico City where we've just done our sort of first sort of big press junkets. Oh, yeah, I got questions about that. We did them in, in a real 400-year-old convent in uh, looking down on Mexico oh, City. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, That's awesome. It was incredible. And it was a very similar atmosphere to the Romanian castles. And they put on this whole sort of scare experience experience that they took the journalists through for like all underground in the catacombs on their way to you are you down in the catacombs (laughs) (laughs) i I did go i I did go on it with a group of them actually i know because i had turned up they showed me what they were going to do and then i did two days of press and then afterwards i went down at night with a group of them and it was really cool really scary and fun warner uh, brothers definitely knows how to do the scares like we did the horror made here last year and the conjuring maze i'm still scared because of that it was amazing on the warner brothers yeah on the lot did you get chased out by a yes yeah we yes. did yes we did <laughs> I didn't yeah. sleep for like two weeks after that they pulled that scare off really cool while they did it too I've never seen anything done like that the hands that. of yeah Valak's yeah. hands like wrapped yeah. around the painting and then boom she <laughs> comes out of it it was oh awesome God. but they feel like they've really been enjoying it as well which is really great to see all of these marketing teams coming up with crazy cool ideas and the posters and the ads. So it's, it's really dream for me. Wow. You did say that before you had done this movie, you kind of a supernatural, I guess, skeptic or nothing to prove that it existed to you. Mm. You're out in these castles in Romania and Transylvania and something happens. Yeah, seriously. I was, um, you yeah, know, I've, I've spent my life creating all this stuff. I love it. To me, it's an outlet. It's a sort of unlimited area to, I want to bring these things into our world. You know, it's what makes me excited. But I've sort of, pretty skeptical in the you know sense of what is really real out there or whatever and uh we were shooting this this sequence that you'll see in the movie we call the corridor of crosses sequence you see a little clip of it i think in the trailer where she's in this long 200 foot corridor in the dark heading towards this door that something's behind it and we were in a real old fortress the mogashoya fortress in romania which is a, a ancient sort of military building bunker underground so if you can imagine, there's a 200-foot corridor, pitch black, and we had all our teams in there. And, you know, it's, it, I went on, took them on the scouts, the, the crew, and it's a really kind of, no one wanted to be down there. It was a creepy, dark, dark <laughs> place. Sounds perfect. And, uh, yeah. I mean, if you start with that, then you, you can only improve on it. <laughs> I designed this shot with Maxime, which is a sort of long tracking shot with the cameras rotating and 
push-pulling and quite complex technical shot. It's quite claustrophobic down there. The crew has to sort of, oh, I like the way these lights keep flicking. <laughs> 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 this is good. I'm glad <laughs> the, the, the crucifix. <laughs> <laughs> the, the crew has to like hide off in different areas so as not to be in a shot. And where I had to be was in this like little room off this 200-foot corridor. There was these cells, these like twice the size of the room we're in, but pitch black. Oh, so wow. I, I go down, I see all the camera crew, there's Thaisa rehearsing this complex shot, and I come off in an adjacent room, it's pitch black, and as I go through the door, I saw two crew members, like probably Romanian crew, there's a lot of different nationalities, in the dark, watching, so I said like, hi guys, and I turned my back to look at my monitors, so my monitors are here, there's a door there, that's the only way in and out, and the guys are sitting behind me, and as I, um, I watched, you know, trying to get this shot, and it's frustrating, it took a half an hour to get it all right, and all the things, and then... Finally, we got the shot, and I sort of like turned to announce like my triumph. And I said, "Oh, did, did you see that?" And I turned around. There's no one in the room oh. at all. Wow! And it was pitch black, and there was no one in there. There was no doors, no way out. There was the only way in and out was this door in front of me that I was, which is open into the corridor, which is where the camera is. You you couldn't come in or out. So I was sort of like, but I'm in the middle of filming, so I couldn't sort of stop and everything. <laughs> <laughs> it runs out. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise run. <laughs> so I, I sort of had to get, I did the rest of the day and I forgot about it. And then we we're having drinks at the end of the day. And I saw like, I had this really odd thing happen and I've relived it and I've thought about it and I don't lie. I can't, I, you could tell if I was lying. I know you would. And then of course this is an ancient building. This is a fortress in Romania. There's been war and death in this building. I genuinely saw these two guys as I went in the room. And actually what makes it more interesting is as I went in the room, one of the lights we had lights positioned in these rooms to look like moonlight shards coming down from above because we were underground there was no moonlight so the light was on the ground pointing up and as I walked into the room the light just like kind of caught into my eyeball and I think it kind of gave me some extra little sort of second sight and I saw these two ghosts and they were watching me film the nun <laughs> They have popcorn. <laughs> uh, the bummer is they'll never get to see the full movie. Or will they? Maybe they came back in my suitcase. <laughs> That's why she's here. You know, <laughs> you know I was really uh, curious because you brought this movie to Mexico City, mm. a deeply religious part of the world. You know, yeah. Christianity, you know, uh, Catholicism. How did they react to the movie? Especially, uh, I want to know about uh, yeah. Sister Rose Picotto. Oh, yeah. This is, this is all very... You've done all your homework. This is great. No, I mean, look, really well. So, it, we, I mean, I don't know how many. I must have done 60 or something interviews. And a lot of the journalists, everyone seemed very excited. So I had to do this interview with Sister Rose Paquette. She was asking all sorts of questions. And it was interesting because she's a real nun. Right. We didn't obviously want to upset anyone with the film. You know, it's, we want to sort of like respect religion, whatever your belief is. And right. still, hopefully, you're going to enjoy a thrilling experience and right. terrifying time. But, you know, at the end of the interview, she got this ring out and she put it on my finger. She said she wanted me to wear it to help protect me from evil. So that's why I'm wearing it. Well, right wow. Now. That's beautiful. Is it working? Well, I'm still here. So. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> As he gets pulled away by mysterious forces unseen. So what, can you tell me everything you kept from the set? Because this interests me like so much. <laughs> like I saw the crucifix and that is 
fucking yes, awesome. Yes, he brought a crucifix. It's insane. Um, what else did you keep? I don't know if I get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We have a Warner Brothers friend. You kept two ghosts. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, there's, there's, oh man, I don't know. Some nice little things. There were some really beautiful props that were made for the nun. I mean, I, I sort of wanted everything to be really designed and built. And we had yeah. this great Romanian prop. Um, makers and what else? Someone behind me with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but that looks, that looks old. That cross looks old. Well, it's not. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you by chance no, have we, that? We, uh, we, did you have it blessed by any chance? We didn't uh, have that one blessed, but we did have a, a, a Roman Catholic priest come and bless the set, which seems to be a, a typical tradition for a James Wan movie. Yeah, yeah. New New Line take it seriously, and James Wan and the, the Conjuring movies—they have them all blessed. They, you know, they work with the religious community and, and they. Um, obviously do a lot of research into the, the stories that the, the movies have been based on. No, I mean, we made thousands of crucifixes, thousands of them. How long is the movie? Like, is it an hour and a half? Yeah, it's 96 minutes, what which I saw someone complaining about yesterday on Twitter going, oh, the nun's so short, it can't be good. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a perfect length. Oh, yeah, perfect length. I know, since yeah. when has that been short? <laughs> <laughs> if it was sort of like 80 Three minutes that would but seem that short. Like Fra- I think Bride Frankenstein's eighty-three minutes. Right, right, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. I mean, if you can do a movie around up to ninety, you can get two movies in three hours. That's always good, isn't it? Do you have a two hours? You bring it down. Like, do you do some editing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the same with the Hallow. I think the first cut of the Hallow was like three hours twenty-eight minutes, and you're like, you know, it's never going to be that long. <laughs> but you, you know, you assemble the story that you put together, and then you start forming a story that you create in the edit. It's always a, a journey. Yeah, I'm really curious because uh, within the Conjuring universe, you have James Wan who puts his stamp, you know, yeah. his, his specific uh, methods, the art of the scare, then David F. Sandberg, and yeah. now you. Right. So I'm really curious, without giving anything away, yeah, yeah. were you able to do this? Were you able to put your stamp on this movie and say, yep, that's my scene right there? I should hope so. There was a lot of ammunition in the script for like really potent set pieces and scares. And then you find more as you go into it. And actually, you know, James and they're all keen to like push it and keep, you know, get as many in as you can. Because <laughs> um, also when you're shooting, you know, you, you shoot your story, but you, you know that you're going to adjust things as well, you know, when you're editing. So it's good to have different versions of how a scare could work. And there was a sequence, for instance, I don't want to give too much away, but there was a, something mentioned in the script that I loved the sound of which was referred to as perpetual adoration, which is like 24-7 praying to keep the evil at bay. Wow. And I'd never kind of heard of this concept, but the idea of a load of nuns praying together against something was really exciting. But in the script, it hadn't flourished. It didn't become anything. So that was one of the areas which I sort of like, this is so great. I would love this to become like a real set piece. So that was something that uh, you might see. Ah, okay. <laughs> Very cool. I'm so excited. It's always yeah. hard doing yeah. these. <laughs> it's hard doing these um, types of, I want to tell you everything. But right. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I assume James Wan saw Butterfly. And if so, did he say, can you do this whole film animated? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm doing it on the side at the moment. <laughs> 2028 <laughs> see the nun stop motion right. motion picture that'd be kind of amazing actually I'd love to see that I'd, I mean actually you know one of my dreams would be to do a really terrifying stop motion feature film Ooh, that'd yes. be really the cool the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. of stop motion that'd be yeah. amazing yeah. 
and it's sort of like, can you make a really scary stop motion yes. film that is also kind of <laughs> yes. a blockbuster? You know what I mean? Right. Like a, you know, right, s- right, yeah. Feature. Well, a lot of the Evil Dead special effects, uh, a lot yeah. of the stop motion sequences, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. mind blowing. Yeah. So we got to talk about Bonnie Aarons. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the face of yeah. the nun, Valak. Mm-hmm. Valak. Yeah. Valak. What a face. Was it Valak the Defiler? Yeah. Right. Valak the Defiler, Marquis of Snakes. I wasn't aware of who Bonnie was until I saw the Conjuring 2. When I got this job, I was like, we've got to... Um I suddenly panicked. I was like, we do have the person who played the nun already booked, right? It's like getting Nightmare on Elm Street after yeah. Nightmare right. and then giving, like, not having Robert Englund. Um, so, like having Tom Cruise. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, we did. So Tom Cruise is the nun. <laughs> running. Um, what, what, you know, what I read was that when yeah. The Conjuring 2 was made, yeah. that the nun was added after the mm-hmm. fact? Yeah. That James Wan came up with it and said, oh, we're going to put this in the movie. Yeah. Which is yeah. really interesting. It wasn't I, yeah. part of the story. Yeah. It, and it's really a different, it's like Vera's having the dreams about it, right? So it's yeah. it's not really part of the storyline, though. No. Well, it, he's, he's written it in in a very yeah. clever way, I think. And, and she sort of, I think, stole the show and sort of owned that movie, you know. Right. And uh, when I got this, I then found out, okay, it's Bonnie Aarons. And then I saw in her credits that she was the, like the vagrant in Mulholland Drive, the Lynch film. Oh, oh wow. wow. And that one, right. one shot when she just goes, yeah. and just, my heart stopped. And, you know, that was one of those, probably one of the most terrifying moments in that, you know, I don't know when that was, 2000 and something. But, yeah. you know, so I still thought if, if she can do that, with just her eyes and her face and, and what she did in The Conjuring 2, she's already earned the iconic status in some ways of, of her persona, you know. Right. Um, yeah, luckily we, we got her. Has any of you guys talked to Bonnie or met Bonnie? No. 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 Yeah, she's really interesting. She's wonderful and eccentric and just, you know, she loves horror. She loves scaring people. <laughs> <laughs> she's got these really kind of, she's got very classic Hollywood sort of 50s Hollywood kind of face yeah and, and very polite pale eyes and she would she would like relish freaking Taisa out um, <laughs> on set in, on set yeah. between takes at lunch time because oh, yeah. Taisa's like hates horror films yeah. right yeah Taisa's just get you know she's she's incredible she, but she's sort of like it's not her yeah not favorite thing, thing. She's, yeah. she gets quite like disturbed by it and you know she spent the whole shoot having to sleep be in this character facing up against a lot of darkness and demons and so then you'd have sort of like Bonnie just she's like <laughs> that's kind of awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's really tall too right yeah 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 it's crazy she's, she's great I hear a guitar <laughs> so are we going to go into a little story about what this little this track is, yeah I'd, I'd love to tell you this this is very special by the way I mean just Tim Armstrong is sitting here with a guitar <laughs> <laughs> no so I'll tell you the story I mean it was so I was so lucky to have Damien Bashir who again hadn't been in any horror movies when we were cast in the role of Father Burke you know I wanted this kind of dirty Harry of exorcists and I wanted some kind of like guy who, who you would believe had had experience in a number of ways in his past and I'd seen Damien Bashir in Shea the Steven Soderbergh mm-hmm. movie yep. playing Fidel Castro that's right and in The Hateful Eight when we considered him I was like oh he's perfect but I had to sort of like convince him to be in a horror movie because a lot of actors also feel I think you know horror movies can be like a, a, a lower type of movie and obviously you have to sort of like convince them what it's going to be like so I, I met with Damien in London and went through all my storyboards and sketches and talked about a character and was so uh 
pleased to get him. We've just got very close and Thaisa as well. She was obviously she's Vera's sister, which was originally a kind of I almost like didn't watch her audition to begin with because I didn't want it to sort of be as obvious as just like who's in the conjuring, you know, oh Vera. Oh, let's get Thaisa, you know. That'll work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd we'd sort of we looked at hundreds of incredible actresses. And then when I watched Taisa, I was just like, there's no one else that can do this. She has to have this role. And, you know, when you feel instantly, confidently, strongly about someone, it's a brilliant feeling. And you just kind of like, I, I don't care. What, like, She has to have this role. That's it. And Jonas Bluke, who you see is Frenchy as well, who's um, a French actor who was in Paul Verhoeven's movie L quite recently. I think you're going to see more of him. So anyway, we were filming. When you're making the film, you get so obsessed and consumed by it. You're not aware of sort of time passing. I suddenly found myself on a day and it said like Tyser and Damien's it's basically their last day. I felt quite sick because we'd got to know each other so well. And I thought, shit, I haven't got them a present. I haven't done them a card. We had a couple more days to do after. On my way to the studio, all I could think of was I'm going to write them a song and I'm going to perform it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have a band of my best friends that we grew up called Conspirators. We are sort of like a ragged kind of punk rock barn dance band. I didn't have any of my friends out there, but I sort of collared a crew member who had a guitar. And I wrote this song called The Convent Blues, literally on the way in, in the car. So I wrote it without, you know, having much time to develop the song. I got this guy in lunch break and we secretly practiced it for 10 minutes. And then when they rapped, I got Damien and Thaisa in one of the sets. We got like a little bottle of whiskey and performed the song with this Romanian guitarist. And we did it once. And that's the only time it's ever been performed until maybe now. <laughs> <laughs> with two moms. <laughs> So here's Father Burke doing crosswords in church. Vatican comes calling now, and Burke's left in the lurch. He's off on a mission, holy dangerous scenes. Tools up with the chaplain, shit, and heads off to find Irene. Now Irene's sitting pretty, working shifts in a hospital. Playing games with the kids. Sister Irene, we're gonna need your committal. Burke and Irene hit the road in search of a haunted abbey. They find themselves a Frenchie, a horse, and now they ain't looking too shabby. They got the common blues, common blues. They got nothing to lose, oh no, one more time. They got the common blues, got the common blues. They got nothing to lose, oh no. Deepest, darkest Romania is where evil lurks. Takes the shape of a nun. Now Bonnie Aarons is coming for you, Burke. Irene, she got visions. Damn, that girl is a shit. Together, Archie Rio begins to kick ass, fighting demons and devils and Daniels. And did I mention the snakes? And all the nuns in shade. Irene's waking up in the night, chasing shadows while Burke's falling in the grave. Said, Sister Irene. Sister Irene, Sister Irene, I'm trapped in this coffin, it's so obscene. We got the common blues, common blues, we got nothing to lose. Oh no, oh no, common blues, the common blues, we got nothing to lose. Oh no.
heroic trio is down to the undercroft. Jen Spence did us proud with this place. Maxime is a beautiful shot. Katzo! Addy, get me my blood here. And Harry just gave me more time. We're making a goddamn horror movie and it's gonna be sublime. So bring the wine. Sharon, go for the wet look. Andrew, does it make sense? Gary and Michael and James and Peter don't find my ass cause it just got intense and Addy shopping that sword and Gage take her head clean off now Ellen make those demon eyes so we're terrified like a Molotov but back to the chase Irene and Burke gotta get it done they find a holy blood of Christ and then boop, 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 demon nine now the battle is over and it's celebrating time So everybody sing together At least the two more times Come on! We got the combat blues The combat blues We got nothing to lose Oh no! Woo! The combat blues We got the combat blues We got nothing to lose Oh no! We got the combat blues The combat blues We got nothing to lose Oh no! We got the combat blues The combat blues Nothing to lose. What do you say, Tim? One, two, one, two, three. We got the common blues. The common blues. We got nothing to lose. Oh, no. We got the common blues. The common blues. We got nothing to lose. Oh, no. We got the common blues. The common blues. We got nothing to lose. Oh, no. Armstrong in the house in the chapel. <laughs> I, got a, I got a song from Conjuring too. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Wise men say, "Holy fools rushing," but I can't help falling in love with. Would it all be a sin? Falling in love with 
Yeah. That was awesome. I love that <laughs> The Abbey has a long history. Valak. Not all good. What? That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 23. Special thanks to our guest, Corn Hardy. Follow him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Corn Hardy, and check out his film, The Nun, in theaters everywhere, Friday, September 7th. And hey, if you get a moment, it would mean the world to us. If you head over to iTunes to rate and write a quick review, it helps the show get found and helps us continue to bring you more amazing guests and horror awesomeness. Till next time, this is Trev for the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. It's time for this a boogeyman to boogie.